It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Hard-edged, hard-nosed, hard to beat. Where are you coming from in this one? Your 100% essential download. Jim White and Simon Jordan. You let this get out of control. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. You're listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan, a daily podcast brought to you by Talk Sport. Today, Simon Jordan and myself were joined by England legend Stuart Pearce, and the show began with a frank chat about Everton's under-fire boss, Frank Lampard. No doubt about it, Simon. Everton have major problems. Uh, we have been highlighting Mashiri at <laughs> the game for the first time in a long time. Yep. But he wasn't going to say anything post-match. Uh, not, nor was Bill Kenwright. Um, Didn't he come out with some drivel, Mashiri, about it wasn't his decision? When it comes to making, to, to deciding Frank Lampard's future. He said, as he got in his vehicle at the end, it won't be his decision, but of course... Well, said that. Yeah. I mean, have you ever heard anything so preposterous in all your life? Well, there's no point in getting an answer <laughs> like that, because it's well, not it's, the case, it is, is it? It is his decision. It's a ridiculous thing mm. to say. Yeah. A ridiculous thing to say. Mm. Ridiculous. Uh, um, it, it's my understanding, Simon, that the talking started, you know, talking hasn't just been going on yesterday uh, amongst the Everton hierarchy. It started post-match on Saturday with Mashiri heading out of the London Stadium in one vehicle, Bill in another. Yeah, I um, Bill They all went their separate ways, and they were all, they, they were talking then. It's my understanding, because of the this respect and uh, feeling of loyalty they have towards Lampard is making any decision a lot more tricky. That's um, what I'm hearing. Well, yeah, I look, I mean, ultimately, respect is something that you earn and, and he shouldn't be respected for his playing career. He should be respected for his ability to be able to manage Everton Football Club. And if that respect is going to carry you into the Championship, then that respect is going to be diminished dramatically. Frank Lampard's got a very difficult job because he's got a, an owner that doesn't really know what he's doing. He's got a group of players that aren't performing at a high level and he hasn't got the toolkit or the knowledge to be able to deal with a situation that he's never been in before. Yeah. And when he talks about being in those situations before, that's not true. He's talking probably about the time he had at West Ham when there was a bit of a backlash about him getting, him getting in the team and Harry Redknapp defending him. That's not the same as having to deal with a completely disillusioned, demoralised fan base that are absolutely at their ownership model, that they can't change because the owner has put so much money in. You know, whether it's his money or his enough money, they might want to be careful because there's a whole raft of situations behind Everton that might unfold if they shout too loudly about who owns his football club and who doesn't. Yeah. Um, and, and if from, you were in there, would you part company with Frank today? Um, I like Frank Lampard. Um, I like him as a bloke. I think he's got a journey to go on as a manager, but I don't think he's got the toolkit to, to deal with Everton. I think there is a possibility there are three teams in this division that will stink it out more than Everton. 
But that's not necessarily the answer to the bigger question, which is, would I keep Frank Lampard? And I'd have to say, probably not. I'd have to say that my my responsibility as the owner of Everton Football Club is to keep this club in the Premier League. Other tubs have gone down and come back up again. So it's not the end of the world. But there's no need for Everton to be sitting second bottom of the league. I don't care how bad some of these players are. They're better than second to mm. bottom. Mm. And that's as much the manager's responsibility. That board doesn't kick that ball on Saturday afternoon. Those players do. And that manager does. Who do they go to, Stuart, if they part company with them? For me, it would be Sean Dyche. Me too. I, I think he, he looks a really natural fit. I mean, I hope Frank, I used to play with Frank and whatever, I hope Frank doesn't part waves. But at this moment in time, there's no part of, of the of, of Everton's model that is, is unified or you think, well, at least that part of the club's yeah. okay. They're not playing particularly well. They've got no confidence. A lot of pressure on the manager. So, you know, he doesn't feel free to manage, I'm sure. The fans are not happy with the board. The whole the whole lot, Everton. Yeah. And you, you sat there thinking, well, how are you going to address this? How are you going to stop this momentum, a downward spiral? I don't know. I think Sean Dyche has got the tools and the personality to do it. You see, what what baffles me, Simon, is are we going to get an announcement today that they parted company with Frank Lampard? Because only 10 days ago, on this show, Mashiri said this. I put my money where my mouth is, and, you know, that is most that an owner can do. And I've done that. And some of the decision we've taken is together with the fans, right? All the managers who've been left have been driven by the fans, not by me initially. And I think you've got to stay with the manager to get the systems going, you know, the players that he buys. You know, I have a lot of faith in in Frank. You know, he'll get it right. <laughs> so that was 10 days ago. So then they go to the London Stadium on Saturday, Simon, and I was there. And West Ham won it in the first half because really there was nothing really looking like changing in the second half. Yeah. Um, and yet... Ten days on, should we honestly expect Mashiri to do a U-turn? Um, but listen, I, I I have very little faith in Mashiri's ability to be able to make coherent football decisions. I can't hold a candle to the financial wealth that he had, even at my pomp. And I understand that commercially in different businesses, he may rock and roll. And the company that he keeps may be very, very affluent. But the bottom line is, when it comes to football decisions, he does not know what he's doing. Now, the board can give him strong advice. And people say, I defend the board because I like Bill Kenwright. Let's be clear, as I've said about 50,000 times, the board operates under the, under the guidance of an owner who makes the decisions. When you're a benefactor of a business and you're funding it, you make the decisions. You might take some advice from the board. You make your own mind up. Bottom lining is, no board in their right mind would have ever advised Rafa Benitez. None of them would own that one. They might all sit in the background saying nothing about it, but Mashiri can own that. Everybody knew that it was in football, with, with all due respect, that Ancelotti was a bad move for them because he wasn't going to be there for very long, and so it proved. Yeah. And you look at this ridiculous pursuit of silver at that time was the wrong move. So here you are now with Mashiri appointing Frank Lampard at a time where he's picking up the slack from Rafa Benitez and all the decline that came as a result of that and the deterioration of the relationship. So I don't... Feel that you could trust Mashiri to make any decision. So if he turns around and says that he's going to back Frank Lampard, you might as well turn around and say it's through the looking glass because he'll be out the door if Mashiri thinks there's a better opportunity. What does a relegation look like for Everton? 
I, well, I don't do you think, think that'll be a complete disaster? No, or I don't. Do you think they'll survive I, that I, I don't and come think back stronger? I, I, don't, I think they'll survive it and come back stronger if they've got a manager in, in, in place that's capable of helping them do that. But with fairness to Benitez, who I don't like as a football manager, I think he's very capable, but I think he's very divisive in football clubs. He has the toolkit to have got Newcastle straight back up again because he knows his way around at, at that, not at championship level, but he had a good enough squad to be able to galvanise it. I think Everton have the same thing. They'll be pretty demoralised because the fan base will be against them, but the Ever Newcastle fan base were against Mike Ashley, and yet they bounced back. So I think they will, but the, the thing for Everton fans is they haven't been relegated for 72 years. They've mm. got a new stadium over the horizon. They've got Liverpool, or oh, Liverpool aren't in good nick right now, but yeah. notwithstanding it, they've got all of that. So I do think they'll come back. It's not the end of the day, but why would you want to be in a championship with your Everton fans? Any news we get, you'll hear first live on TalkSport because the big names speak to us. That's why Liam Smith's about to join us next. Welcome to the Coliseum of Confrontation. Outspoken with White and Jordan. It's sunk in because it's what I was confident to do all along. But, um, you know, obviously it's still a great feeling to, to think back of the nights I had, you know, from, from as a whole with the crowd, the ring walk, the results. Um, and, and obviously like the, the praise I'm getting at the moment is, is great, obviously. But... Um, the result, I, I was always confident that could be because Shubank Jr. Obviously, it was in a little bit of better fashion than probably people thought, but I was always confident I'd get the win either way. Have you got sort of newfound respect for each other now, Liam? We saw you kind of making up at the end of it. Yeah, of course. Obviously, you know, the, the, the few things, the build-up got a little bit stupid, but, um, you know, I, I always respected Chris as a fighter. As, as far as I always knew why I trained the way I trained because I knew Chris was... Was it was a was a was a tough fight. He's always a tough fight for anybody. So, you know, I always have respect for him. Um, you know, I said beforehand, I don't, I don't hate the man. I don't wish him any harm in life. I just think we're two polar opposites, and we'd never we'd never get on. And I think it got said beforehand if we worked in a coffee shop or a office building, we probably wouldn't get on. So, um, that's what it was. But. So, no, see, so Liam, I, I mean, thank you for joining us live. Before Simon comes in, and Simon was there, and he's been raving about it. Um, is there anything you want to say at this stage? And I, I, I don't want to deflate you in any way after the achievement that uh, we, we, we saw you experience on Saturday night. But what I can tell you is the TalkSport team sat ringside for the fight. They witnessed a fan shouting homophobic abuse at Eubank Jr. after the defeat. Do you feel now that pre-fight news conference and what was said in it, specifically by you to him, was regrettable? Yeah, obviously the way it, the, the way it the way it's come out and the way it's been uh, look social media is a powerful thing now in, in, in both ways so yeah obviously I, I fully regret it and I fully um, it, it's come across so so wrong in the way I, I, I played I played out and wanted it to be it's it's you know it shouldn't have been it shouldn't have been said anyway but it was it was a press conference and it was kind of forget but there's cameras and like I said there's millions of people watching it so you know I fully I fully regret the whole build up and you know, I apologise to anyone who took offence by it. And you know, I'm I'm not a homophobic man. I'm a, you know, I come from a good family. I'm, I'm far from a homophobic, and you know, I fully apologise to anybody who took, took offence to that. And you know, I can only I can only apologise. And so I've obviously lost I've lost a, I've lost fans who I'll probably never get back. The ones who I can't try and change their opinion. I I fully apologise. And you know, I'm far from a homophobic man. Liam, I was obviously at the fight on Saturday night and, and, and fantastic, by the way. Um, I thought a couple of things. I thought your brother Paul did a brilliant interview on Friday. 
um, after the press conference. I thought he spoke fantastically about the relationship you boys have and the expectations of this fight. Did you expect to demolish him the way that you did? Because uh, he didn't seem to have much punch resistance. And I also noticed you turn around and say that he seemed to be very frightened of getting hit. Yeah, that's what I thought. I thought um, round one, I just thought Chris was very, very scared. Again, that, that's the way the youth is scared of getting hit. And us as boxers don't really mind taking a punch as much as that sounds crazy. And I thought, you're terrified of getting hit here. And I thought, like, right, I'm going to nail you soon. And obviously, you know, eventually I did. But it was more so to the point all week, it was like I got told, I cannot hurt Chris to the head. Chris can't be hurt to the head. And I thought, you're a fool if you think that any fighter can be hurt. And that was the best way to answer the people who talk. Chris, is, Chris has got a good chin, but in boxing, anybody can be hurt. Carl Froch had a great chin, got dropped off George Groves. And, That's right. You know, that, that was the best way to answer I, I, I noticed you say, Liam, that you've got, I'm not going to use the word that you use, but you've got a telling off at the end of the third round. What, what were you told at the end of the third round? Because I don't think anyone, irrespective of people being able to knock one another out, they get hit. I don't think anyone saw that fourth round coming in the way that it did and as quick as it did. And I think the whole arena went off because of the nature of the finish. But what were you told at the end of the third round to get your head in the game? I was just told, stop, like, stop, basically in different ways, stop trying to be a tough man. Um, <laughs> obviously, the plan was basically be be a tough man later on in the fight, hold your feet, push him back when Chris is, you know, I wanted to make Chris work at a pace he doesn't like working at. And uh, when I say doesn't like working at, my point of the fight was Chris is fit and durable, but I don't think he's got the energy he used to have, whether that's his age, whether that's the weight. I just don't, the last three fights when I, I said before and strip it back, I don't think Chris works as hard as he used to work. And later on in the fight, I would have made him, I would have pressed the fight a little bit more and make his punch when he didn't want to punch. So, but I, I, obviously, I'd done that in a stage in round three and got caught off a couple of uppercuts. And Chris got a bit greedy with the uppercut then. And I, I got a telling off saying, No, don't dare hold your feet. It's too early. It's only round three. And Liam, what about four. this? What about this rematch? I mean, ultimately, I personally think that that you should be allowed to go on your journey and fight bigger fights and maybe get a world title shot rather than being, being dragged into a rematch because Chris Eubank wanted a clause in there if there was some sort of debate about the outcome or if it was slightly marginal. You cleaned his clock. It's the end of the discussion. You knocked him out. You'll take the fight if you have to, but would you prefer to go on and have bigger and better things because you've done your job there? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I would like to push on now and see where I can go if I can become world champion again you know that was a huge night six off I've had a huge night a huge fight with Christian Bank Jr I've won I'd love to move on now um, but look the, the rematch clause got put in by Chris and Chris's team Yeah. now it's time for Chris to take that um, he's got to sit and watch that fight back and like you say look that was that's a damaging defeat to come back from from Chris um, you know again he, he's, he's his pride on he sets he sets out that his pride on his chin is so good and he's got to sit and watch, like, you know, he's got to watch himself stumbling around the ring, not knowing the fight's being stopped, wanting to carry on. Not, he, like, he didn't know where he was. And he's got to watch that back and then decide if he wants a rematch. And if he does want a rematch, it's, it's going to be mentally tough for Chris because he's going to get back in with the man who knocked him out. And like I said, the only man to knock him out and the only man to drop him. And, you know, we've seen his dad's post, which is a very nice post. I saw it, yeah. Yeah, I saw it. So it's, it's going to be mentally, it's going to be mentally challenging for Chris to come back.
Yeah, Stuart Pierce is with us this morning. Is it is it right that you you, you took up Stuart's um, sport on Sunday morning? You, you were on the footy field again, were you? Can we not talk about that? I missed the penalty. Uh, join <laughs> join the club, my friend. Join the club. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think about what Liam did? It's unbelievable. It just shows how grounded he is, you know. Just to turn up and I bet you you'd have been the toast of the Sunday morning pitch, wouldn't you? you what's it like to actually box the night before and turn up and play the next day? Football. Look, you know, I've always done that. Sort of, I've always done when I was a prospect, when I was world champion and, you know, even towards the end. And um, I've probably got the longest left playing football as I have in my boxing career. But I, I love football. I always have. It was my first my first troops of sport it was my preferred troops of sport I just weren't as good at football as I was at boxing so um, I, you know I, I love the football I love the the amateur football the Sunday league as, as, as we call it and you know um, like I said I was the toast before and, but I was the laughing stock after it Download Stand Well Back Listen Outspoken with White and Jordan from the world's biggest sports radio station Talk Sport Stuart Pierce is with us all the way through until <laughs> one o'clock. This is getting lively. Uh, it was lively at the Emirates yesterday. Arsenal beat Manchester United 3-2. It was a breathless encounter. And now the Gunners five points clear of Manchester City with a game in hand. Is this on? You bet it is. Halfway stage of the season. I mean, it seems after passing every litmus test, what is left for Arsenal to prove? 50 points from 19 games. Arsenal's best ever tally at this point in the season. I mean, Stuart, I'll ask you, what is left for Arsenal to prove? We now have to take them really, really seriously. I'll uh, counter that with the fact of they've proved nothing at this moment in time. And I think the first people that will probably tell you that is everyone inside Arsenal. Nothing, Stuart. Nothing at all. They've got themselves in a brilliant, brilliant position. And you know and I know if they don't win the Premier League this year which might be a fantastic year and a fantastic opportunity for them to win it, I think they'll be kicking themselves. So I would say they, they've proved nothing. They've proved they're a very good young side that are probably playing the best football in the division at this moment and probably for most of this season. But I think there's going to be, if they end up finishing anywhere bar first, they're going to be so, so disappointed with their season. Mm. But each and every test, they've passed every one, have they not? They certainly have. And they need to keep doing that from now to the end of the season. I don't see any reason why not. If someone said to me who I think would win the Premier League, it would be Arsenal now. And that will be the most disappointing thing if they do not win it. So, you're changing your tune because you've always been City. You now think, yeah. No, I still think there's an argument to be had that City will, will hunt them down. I think they've proved that they can galvanise a fan base as previously other managers have struggled to do since Arsene Wenger um, because they've turned the Emirates from the library back into a very motivated fan group of fans that are behind the side. I think Arteta's proved the fact that he can manage at this level. He's moved beyond the accusations that I had mid-term, that he was going from being somebody that I thought they had, had the chops to someone that's had all theory. I think he's proved that he can improve players. Um, now, the only question he has to answer, I suspect, is can they overcome the two games they've got against Man City? Because if Man City beat them twice in those two games, the, the, the whole dynamics of it change. But this is a very, very good Arsenal side, and a side that's full of belief, full of confidence, full of momentum. Players at Saka are on the front foot now. You know, Odegaard is is, a, is flying. You can list the players, they're all at it and across it and on it, from the goalkeeper to the guy up top. 
the injury side of things might play a part. If they start to lose key components like Odegaard and people that are making the team tick and Granit Xhaka that I think are really integral to the side alongside the sprinklings of the stars at the top. Um, and Ketia is doing a good job. But I think it's... They're, they're, look, they're making a big deal about Nketiah. Arsenal are, are, are creating chances. I think anybody with due respect that had a little bit about them could be doing very well for Arsenal if they were playing in that team. I think they can win this league. I think they're capable of winning it. I think it's theirs to lose now. So you're going in their direction more. I mean, well, Ryan is saying there, Simon, are you going to give Arsenal just a tiny shred of respect this morning? I give Arsenal respect all the time because they're worthy of it. But I'm also balanced in my view, you know, about what they are and what they aren't. I think Manchester City are more formidable because they know where they are and what they're doing. Now, that doesn't mean that Arsenal can't control their own destiny because even if they lost twice to Man City, yeah. they're still in the box seat. It's still their gift. But if they lose, if they lose key players, they lose key players like Odegaard and a few others that make this team tick. It could be more difficult. But look at them, mm. look at the belief. I think it's a little bit OTT. Some of the reactions that they're giving after games. But so what? They're well, games. T- well, talking about OTT, Stuart, where do you stand in Arteta leaving that technical zone so often? Well, he, he he semi-stepped on the pitch when the ball was coming over to go out of play and, and impeded, almost impeded, let's say, Ericsson, who didn't go for the ball. And I, I pointed out to, to my wife, if that would have been me and the manager would have stepped out there and the ball was between me and him, he would have got the ball straight at him, you know. And I was on a conference call two weeks ago talking about the, the reaction of managers in the technical area calming it down. I don't see any any calming down from, from Arteta. That I see as a bit of a downside, but the but other side of that it. is they're exactly it, of course, just, it, but not thing. as much as him. I don't. I think. I don't know, uh, Stu. There's a narrative. Does it bother you, Stuart? I mean, have you had enough of it? Has he got to rein it in? It irritates me a little bit. I don't think there's any need for it. You know, sometimes you need to be a calm head on the pitch. And to be fair, myself in my early days of management, I still thought I was a bloody player running up and down the touchline. In fact, I went on the pitch a couple of times in, in games, which was ridiculous when I look back now, you know. But listen, their football's good enough that they're ma- it excites their manager. And to be fair, and I've got to say at this stage as well, I think Saka is well on course for the player of the year, uh, for what he's done for England and for what he's done for Arsenal. Yeah, I mean, look, I go again. I think there is an irritation about Arteta, which I don't quite know why there'd be less irritation towards some of Klopp's antics. They're at it. They're all at it. If the officials want to put them back in their technical area, that's their job. Get the officials to do their job properly and make sure the managers observe the parameters of where they should and shouldn't be. And, I, and I've sort of evaluated my own view on it because I've sat there thinking, you're getting on my nerves, Arteta, jumping around like a demented jack-in-a-box. But he's no different some of the other managers. Yeah. So why should he cop any more flack? I tell you why, because he's Johnny come lately. And Arsenal mm. have been out of fashion in terms of winning the Premier League and he might be getting up a few people's noses. Mm. So I don't think he should be judged by any more standards than other people. It wasn't so long that Klopp was running up the touchline bellowing in a linesman's face. 100% engagement. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Juventus very much in the news for the wrong reasons because Juventus have been deducted 15 points for alleged financial irregularities and false accounting. This has been hanging over them for some time. The club's been accused of fixing the balance sheets by artificial gains from club transfers. Nothing to do with us, of course, say the club. Juventus have denied any wrongdoing. They confirm they'll appeal against uh, the decision that's been made. Now, here's the thing, Simon. Tottenham's managing director of football, Fabio Paratici, has been handed a 30-month ban from Italian football for his involvement. But now we found out today The Italian Football Federation have made a request to UEFA and FIFA for the sanction and bans to be extended beyond Italian football and apply worldwide. If Mm. that happens, Spurs could face a summer potentially. They might end up losing him. They might lose Conte as well. Yeah. I mean, this is this. They're looking at an unexpected mess on the horizon, aren't they? An unexpected reverse windfall. Yeah. Albeit, I'm not entirely sure he's doing the graces of jobs at Tottenham. But notwithstanding that, it is a mess that Juventus have got themselves into. And we, we were speaking to Gabriel Macotti um, in um, Qatar, weren't we? Yes. Um, prior to a broadcast that we did to ascertain what exactly was going on in Juventus and what they were really being um, accused of. And it's about misrepresenting transfer values. It's about the idea that they'd cut wages when they hadn't really to get themselves around certain impl- implications of financial uh, challenges that they might have had to meet and, and, and reach financial fair play. You know... And it's, it's, it's strange because the, uh, the guys that prosecuted, that were prosecuting Juventus, only asked for a nine-point penalty. And yet the guys handed out a 15-point penalty. So Juventus are actually railing against the nature of the sanction they've been put under. Yeah. Now, this is not the first time we've seen in Italian football um, controversy around financial irregularities. Obviously, there were previous football clubs that have had situations surrounding this, and Juventus have found themselves in the middle of this again. And the board has resigned. I mean, Allegri, for me, is a bit of a clown. I mean, he's brought the Allegri name, Agnelli, sorry, not Allegri, Agnelli, Agnelli yeah. name into a bit of disrepute. And there's a bit of a power grab going on there about who's going to run this football club. And all those guys run for the hills as quick as they possibly could. Yeah. Resigned. Ned Vedder was obviously a great player, um, but doesn't seem to be the greatest administrator. And if Paratizzi or Parezzi, however you pronounce it, is caught in that, then Tottenham are going to be in a very difficult position. It's interesting to see why they would think that there's a necessity for the jurisdiction to extend to upon extend to here. To here. I mean, but should the, it? Sure. It'd but, be highly but unfair think it should, in Tottenham. But, but, you, but on the other side of that, Jim, before you go to Stu, you would think it should be because FIFA, there should be a standardisation of how people conduct themselves. If you're involved in financial irregularities of a significant nature, 
then surely to God you should be compromised from all aspects of football. Well, yes, alleged financial irregularities yeah. at Juventus, not at Tottenham. Yeah, but so if you're a Tottenham fan, they're quite rightly saying, well, why should we get well, victimised by this? Well, I understand Tottenham's argument, but football either governs itself properly or it doesn't. Mm. And you can't suggest that you, you commit something, and I'm not suggesting he has, you can't suggest that you're part of some sort of conspiracy or irregularity and you can just hop across leagues and benefit on the basis of that. That can't also be the case. What's going on in the past can catch you up, Stuart. I mean, to be honest, Panatici brought Conte to Tottenham. Yeah. And I... now Conte could be in the invidious situation of saying goodbye to him and not have him at his disposal for a number of months. I think if you're found guilty of something like this, if you're found guilty, to actually say, well, that was in Italy, I can go and work in England, I can work in Germany, is absolutely outrageous, to be fair. You know, I can understand you working outside football, potentially, but then again, I've never understood, you know, certain companies have got irregularities within their company, they fold that company and start another company up the next day. Exactly. I find that wrong. The only thing I would say is that it's the accountants... And the financial people that would have um, recategorized these things, the sporting director would be an instrument that goes and acquires players and 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 fulfills the wishes of the board to be able to recruitment policy and manage the continuity of players. I'm not entirely sure he would be sitting there with the accountants rerouting the, the the economic values of players, readjusting the transfer fees, and suggesting to the media that wages have been reduced to meet COVID losses when in fact they haven't Yeah, but it'd have all. to be across it, surely. Well, not necessarily. Why? The sporting director isn't the financial acumen behind a business. The finance director is. So with that in mind, albeit there may be an argument to suggest that their, their evaluation of players, because it all forces into young players that have been... F- put into deals to be able to make weight so they've, they've effectively bought a player from one club transferred another player to the club from their youth policy and then valued that young player at a certain value to be able to capitalise their balance sheets in a slightly more fulsome way Yeah, but I would be surprised if he was neck deep in it You, you, you mm. say alright you've got sympathy to a degree with Tottenham Stuart but yeah you think yeah it should affect him in his time at Tottenham. Well, I think if he's been directly implicated in this, in, in false doing, I, I can't see how he can come to work for Tottenham. I, I'm, I, I don't think that... It it's doesn't like, sit well with In terms with us, of his credibility, his credentials. Yeah. Well, you're professional. You, you should have professional qualifications to work in football, and you do. You have to have certain certifications and badges to be able to coach and manage. FIFA agents have to be licensed, and that's laughable. If you're Daniel Levy, are you nervous about this? Well, it depends if you think he's doing a good job. If you, don't, if you don't think he's doing a good job and his recruitment, Conti, seems to be setting himself on fire with his ridiculous comments, then maybe you think to yourself, this might be an easy way to get out of a problem. The, the, well, there is that, but only you can look at it that way. Um, it's always an opportunity out there, isn't it? Absolutely. Somewhere along the line, Simon, things could get mightily uncomfortable if what is being alleged in Italy catches them up here in London. Well, yeah. I mean, you've got to suggest that FIFA got the jurisdiction to do this because seemingly they might not have to. Yes. Because if they had, if there was a governance that said, as a matter of course, you are you are done for one thing in one country, it prohibits you from working everywhere else, right? If that legislation already exists, then FIFA would have the jurisdiction and there wouldn't be a question. It wouldn't be for the Italian authorities to rail against FIFA and suggest you need to be sanctioning the guy in England. It would already be done. It would be a flow-through. Right. So I would suspect this is all puff and stuff. And what if I'm Tottenham, I'd be turning around to the Italians and say, how about you get on with your bleeding business? Welcome to the Coliseum of Confrontation. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From West Ham's point of view, and of course, Stuart, you'd be watching this very closely uh, with your close links to West Ham United. Yeah. <laughs> 
Everybody could breathe more easily at the end of that game because it was three very much needed points in the bag. So post-match, I got a grips with David Moyes, who very kindly agreed to do a, a quick one-to-one for us for this show. And I said to him, how important was that win today over Everton? But more importantly, for you, how important was it? Not me personally, West Ham needed the win. So I think often, quite often in these situations, you know, you go to the manager, you go to the players or whatever. The, the club needed the win and the club, the club have been great behind the scenes, really supportive. They're all fighting for it. So I'm sure they'll maybe be joining a glass of wine just now in the boardroom and I hope they are. It was a big win for us. What made you so confident you'd get the three points? I felt that it couldn't it couldn't continue the way we had gone on. I mean, look, we lost narrowly one 0 to Wolves last week. It was it was nip and tuck. Could have gone either way. We had uh, beaten Brentford in the cup. We had drawn two each at Leeds uh, away in the league. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of things which we've not been too far away. And I just felt today, but the difference the difference uh, completely was that we scored two goals. I mean, we've just had it's really been impossible, or it's felt that way to get any goals. And I have to, you know, praise the board again for saying they brought in Danny Ings yesterday, which has given the, given us all a lift, the players, the staff, and uh, you know we hope that he'll get us the goals as well to help us. You're a vastly experienced football manager, but going into this game, the narrative was whoever loses could well lose his job. Many people would think, well, in this current climate, when jobs are so important to people, that can't be right. No, I think if we go back to probably when we first started out, I think it, it was right. And and it's still right because managers are all fair game. That's that's the way it is. And I hear you quite often, you know, asking people to phone in about managers and stuff like that. And I think well, to we myself, do, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you do. And, and you know, that's that's another question. But but the point point of that, I'd, I'd say, is, you know, in the world we're in where it's a bit different now, you might not be the right thing to do. But overall, look... I've been in it long enough now and I know that if I don't win seven or eight games like the run I've been on then I'm always going to be in a position where I could lose my job but I've got to say you know again behind the scenes the, the, the board and everybody have been incredibly supportive and I've got to say the players have been great as well the players have been bang at it and quite often you might see players who maybe I've got to say they've chucked it and they're not doing the work at the moment I have to say the players are, are, are working really hard and and uh, hopefully we can step up again. And when you've got that going with the players, David, surely it augurs well to staying in the Premier League. Well, we have to prove it. We have to win the games, you know. And to be fair, no, I don't think MD probably, you know, the people in your show as well, probably wouldn't have thought we'd have been in this position in the first place. We didn't because we finished seventh last year, sixth the year before. We go out and improve the team. But we changed it, and we tried to try. We've tried to change to become a slightly different team. Uh, we wanted to add what we felt were better quality players. We brought in a, a Brazilian international, a couple of Italian internationals, a German international, and you know I've got to say at the moment it, it hasn't looked as if it's made us better. But behind the scenes, it feels better, and I feel as if we've got a team building, getting ready, and I hope that we can uh, sort of improve in the, the coming weeks and months and show everybody that. You, you made a very fitting comment about your affection for Everton, of course, yeah. where you had so many good years, but also your admiration and support for Frank Lampard. And I think that was significant, David, that you wanted that out there, that mm-hmm. you hope Frank can come through this spell. Absolutely. I mean, look, sometimes, you know, as I said, you know, maybe maybe West Ham could have maybe said we'll get rid of David Moyes earlier. I hope that they're looking back and saying the, the work we've done has is, is been good and that's why we're here. But I think Frank Lampard needs to be given that chance at Everton as well. And uh, I hope they do. I hope they stick with Frank. 
But more importantly for me is, is Everton as a football club. I've got huge affection and, and feelings for for the years I've been there. And the last thing I want to see them is, is go down or get relegated. And it's difficult because, you know, it's we were talking there about how, how hard it is to stay in the Premier League, but how important it is for the finances and, and what it does. So uh, my, my big job now is to make sure West Ham aren't near that position. Uh, my job is to take us to a European final, which we start in March. I've got an FA Cup tie. I'd love to get through and, and give the supporters here, keep it going for the supporters here. So that's what I'm trying to do. A final one for me, David. Pre-match, there was a very fitting tribute in the stadium to David Gold. What would you say about his contribution to this club and to football in general and the help that he's maybe given you? Yeah, well, what I'd say is there'll be people who will know David Gold far better than me and people who have had more contact over the years. But since I've been at the club, the first time when I was leaving, he, was, he didn't want me to go. He wanted me to stay. Uh, and then when I come back... Uh, he would always come into the training ground and see us and have a bit of lunch some days. And actually, you know, what's come out of it, more importantly, is, is I've now got to know his two daughters really well and his son-in-law, who is on the board. And, you know, they're keen to see and what's going on and they want to step up. And, look, David Gold was a really good man. And for anybody who, who knows him, he was a great football man. But uh, more importantly, he was a gentleman as well and uh, was a very kind and caring man. Download, stand well back. Listen, Outspoken with White and Jordan from the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken. Don't forget to leave a five-star review and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.